we're forgiving for people who are afraid of the dark, but people who are afraid of light, and that's a real tragedy. People, some people are afraid of light. And uh, one of the, what I mean is like this. There's a, there's a line in this week's Torah portion. The Torah talks about how Hagar is sent away from Aram's home with Yishmael. And the Torah says that uh, she was wandering around in the desert. She was wandering in the desert. And Rashi says, what was she doing in the desert? Rashi says, what was, while she was wandering around? Zalman, Zalman, come here. Yeah. This is after Hashem promised her that uh, your child will be, will be great. Then after her son was, was mean to uh, Yitzchak, so uh, Sarah said to send him away. So, so she's, run, she's wandering around, and Rashi says, Zalman, where are you? Where's he going? Zalman! Okay, could be, could be, could be, could be. I miss you, I miss you. All the lines you teach us. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. So, uh, so she, was, she was wandering around. I just miss you very much, you know, because uh, uh, my wife and my daughters went to New York, so he's the only guy I have at home. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, so... Um, She's wandering around, and Rashi says, what is she doing there? She's wandering around, and she returns to the idolatry that she was used to when she was younger. She comes from the house of the Pharaoh, Pare, and she was used to idolatry. And while she's wandering around, she goes back to idolatry. So what does it mean she's going back to idolatry? Why, why all of a sudden she went back to idolatry? And how does Rashi know she went back to idolatry? All the terror says that she was wandering. How do we know that she went back to idolatry? There was a um, convention of Chabad women in, uh, I think it was the 60s, maybe the 70s, in Detroit. It's a story that for some people is just a story, some people change their life. Like this, like the storyteller is a good book, but sometimes the story could change your life. Listen to the story. They're in Detroit, and uh, it's, there's, a, there's a storm, and they're supposed to go back home for Shabbos. And it's not so easy for uh, men to take care of women's jobs, right? So if, they're, if they're, they have their husbands and their children home, and there's a storm, and, and they can't uh, go home. They told, and, and Mrs. Popak was running this whole program. She calls up the rabbi's office, or my client answers the phone, and, she, and he says, she says that we're stuck here. Okay, you're stuck. This, this is a problem. Let me go speak to the rabbi. And he comes back on the line, and he says, the rabbi doesn't know what stuck means. <laughs> so she says, so she says uh, she, and she knows the rabbi speaks many languages. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't know what stuck means, but... So he starts explaining, you know, we're, we're here. <laughs> we can't get back because the plane can't fly because there's a... St- so right, client starts laughing and laughing. He, he says, the Rebbe knows what stuck means. The Rebbe is saying that a Jew is never stuck. You're in the airport. Go, go reach out to the other people in the airport. So all of a sudden, they were no longer stuck. They were on a mission. Everyone pulled out of their, their suitcases, their Shabbos candles, their brochures about Shabbos candles. Until today, there are people that are keep Shabbos because they got stuck that time. So, when a person, however, says about themselves that they're stuck, that's that's idolatry. Saying that you are some other force in the world you have to contend with, and that you're stuck, that's idolatry. That was Hagar's problem. Hagar said about herself, "I am stuck." In life, there are uh, two kinds of peoples. There are players. And there are fans. The uh, Zami, you know, know about fans, right? Mm. Who are you a fan of? 
You don't want to say it right now. Okay, it's okay. So the difference in you and the, and the players. You watch a game and the team is down by 10 points and it's, and, and it's raining outside and you're, even if you're watching it in person, you're going to go home. It's, it's your, your team is down. There's no way they're going to win. But the players have to stay to the end. They just have, they still won. Oh, wow. Okay, so you see there. So the difference in a player and a fan is that a, a, in life, people who are spectators... There are people who just put out fires. There's an issue that has to get taken care of right now and they're stuck. So they, 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 okay, I'll do this. A player is someone who feels that they're here in the world to create something. They're here to do something. They're part of the action, not just they're a spectator. So, the... Um, <coughs> there was a great uh, Talmudic scholar named Mordechai Borgonoski. He lived in France about 100 years ago. And uh, he had to take a train to Kovne. And the train was supposed to stop in Minsk. And in Minsk, he was supposed to change trains and go to Kovne. And on the train, he meets another Jew. And they start talking. And they both fall asleep. And they both miss their, their stop. And it's Friday afternoon. So... Yeah, thank you. So it's Friday afternoon. And sounds like you too. Baruch Hashem. They missed their they missed their train and it's Friday afternoon. They have to go somewhere. So they look in, look in this town, this this God forsaken town. They look for a place to stay, and they find this home that's willing to host them. And this guy opens the door, and he says, "Oh, it's amazing you're here. I need to have a mohel. Today is the eighth day since my son was born. I need a mohel. So, so do you, do either of you do you happen to be a male? Actually, I am a male. Oh wow, you're a male." You know, I also have this calf that I want to slaughter in honor of the, of the honor of the bris. Either of you happen to be a sheikhet. Yes, I'm a sheikhet. Wow. You know, actually, I was looking for a prominent rabbi to be the sandik of the baby. Do either of you happen to be a prominent rabbi? He's actually, Ramardachai Barnoski, he's a very prominent rabbi. You're lucky he could be your sandik. Wow. So then Ramardachai says to him, so did we get stuck? We didn't get stuck. So there's no such thing really as getting stuck in, in Hashem's world. In everything in life, there are two parts. There is a purpose of something, and there is the thing itself. The purpose always come bef- comes before the thing. Rabbi Chaim Walder, Angazunt, makes great books for children. So first he sees there's a need. Books children, for adults too. And books for adults too. And the books for children are also good for adults. Right. And, uh, and first he sees there's a need for people to have good books on the Jewish ethics. And because of that, he makes the book. He wants to bring you to a certain place with these stories. Or you, you, you have uh, keys to a car because you want to drive the car. You have a pen because you want to write. You have a watch because you want to know what time it is. First, there is a need. And once there is a need, then there is the means to get that need. Similarly, similarly there, is, there is the um, these women in the airport. One way of looking at it is, they're in the airport. What should they do? In Hashem's perspective is, there are women that need to learn about Shabbos, and therefore there are circumstances that need to be created for them to learn about Shabbos. Because they have to learn about Shabbos, that's, it's not that they're stuck and therefore they taught women about Shabbos. It's that the women have to learn about, have to learn about Shabbos, and that's how they got stuck. And this is not just true for, for small events in our life. This is true for the whole story of creation. Hashem creates the world. Why does He create the world? Creates a world because he wants us to keep the Torah. He wants to make a home for him in this lowest realm. Okay, that's Hashem's goal in creation. For Hashem's goal in creation to be fulfilled, he has to have a world. What is a world? He has to have time and space. 
First of all, he has to have time, because time means change, and you can't have a world that wasn't here, and now is here, unless there's something called time. And therefore, right away, there's Bereshus. Bereshus means there's a change, there's something that's here. You also need to have space. If you have a place where the world's going to be, like if I have a table, and I want to put the table in the room where there's no room, the table can't go there. So if Hashem has a plan for a world, there has to be time and space for it to happen. So in a similar way, Hashem creates the space that we're on in order that we should do something there. This first there is the goal, once there's a goal, so then Hashem creates the circumstances for that goal to be fulfilled. So let's look at the story of Yaakov, for example. Yaakov runs away from his brother, Esav wants to kill him, and it says in Torah, he reaches a place, it sounds like he reaches this place by accident. Yivka also means to daven, very good. And what does Yaakov say when he's at, at this place? He says, I thought this was a regular place. And then Yaakov says, I realize that Hashem is in this place. That, that's a simple story. He, Hashem reveals himself to him, and Yaakov realizes, oh, Hashem is in this place. But there's a deeper meaning to the story. The word place doesn't just mean a physical place. Place also means a feeling. For example, like I, I could have asked Reb Zalman to come join the class before he had dinner. So he wouldn't have been in the place that I, that I could ask him that question. Once he had dinner and he was satisfied, and uh, so, okay, Zalman, let's go to Shulam's Davmeyer, let's hear a shit. Okay, it's, it's possible. We, we're now, we're now, we, we, we can have a discussion about it. So sometimes the word place is used to talk about where we feel, where we are psychologically, where we are emotionally. Where was Yaakov when he arrived? Where was Yaakov? Where was Yaakov when he ran, running away from his brother? He was a regular person would be very crushed. His own brother wants to kill him. It's not like today he's passing by the Marriott and the Holiday Inn, and he, he had nothing. He, he actually had some. He had a lot of wealth when he left. His father gave him a lot of wealth, but then Esav sent his son Eliphaz to kill Yaakov, and Yaakov told and he sold Eliphaz, "If you don't kill him, I'll kill you." But Yaakov convinced Eliphaz that it was sufficient for Eliphaz to take all of his money because the Torah says that a poor person considered like they're dead. That's a story in itself. But Yaakov comes to without anything. So Yaakov arrives. And what happens when he arrives? He needs to sleep. What does Hashem do for him to sleep? Um, he puts basically the terrorist cell. He, he does that. He also changes the whole order of the, whole, the entire orbit and the whole world. And he makes the sun set before it's time. So Yaakov realizes it looks like I'm in this random, distant place, but if I'm in a place, wherever I am, Hashem is in the place. Yaakov realizes it's not an accident, but in this place, which seems so distant and seems so foreign, this is the place of Hashem. And, uh, yeah. So Yaakov, so to speak, learns from this experience that all kinds of scenarios that happen to us, they're all part of Hashem's plan, even though it may seem like there's some of the other things that are, that are causing them to happen. There was a Jew who was a Holocaust survivor, and when he came to Auschwitz, he immediately realized that the Nazis want to erase any vestige of humanity, you know, the people that come to Auschwitz, you know, the dogs chasing after them and, and them screaming at the Jews. So he made a decision as soon as he came to Auschwitz, He's not going to lose his humanity. He's going to, he's going to decide. He decided with himself. He's going to. He's there on a mission. He walked over to people and he says, "Hey, you did a great job today." And he hugged people and he cried with people. And and he, he all day long he felt, "I'm on a mission. I have something to do over here." 
and you look great today. You did such a good job, and you, you did such a good job. He, 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 he changed the whole scenario of where he was. This is the story of Hagar. What does it say about Hagar? Hagar, it's, Tara says, she's lost. And what happens next? Tara says, she has her son Yishmael, who's dying, because out of thirst. And what does she do? It's incredible. She says, she throws the baby away, under a bush. She doesn't want to see the baby die. What kind of mother would do that? What kind of mother would throw a baby away? Only a, a, a normal mother, baby's dying, the mother would go over and hug the baby, cry with the baby, do, be with the baby in the baby's last moments. But she throws the baby away. Why did she throw the baby away? Because she was so out of touch with her, with the idea of Hashem having a plan. And she was so, in such a heretical, so such a disbelieving moment, so that she, she didn't notice, she was so out of touch. That, for example... The Torah says she, Hashem opened her eyes and she saw a well. There was a well of water right there. Not only that, she threw her baby under a bush. How could there be a bush in the desert? There must be water around. So she didn't think of that. She didn't see the bush around her. Why did she see the bush around? She didn't see it because she was in that zone of disbelief, that zone of I'm here by myself. This happened by accident. This is, I'm lost here. There's some other force here. I'm not sent here by Hashem. I'm not ambassador by, of Hashem. And therefore, what's her natural uh, conclusion who cares about this baby and she doesn't notice the well in front of her on the other hand created that well. according to the Rambam Hashem didn't create the well she just opened her eyes so other people have different opinions that's the meaning of the Torah says that she was walking she was walking she, she, her whole approach to where she was going was off her approach was I am alone and I am stuck there was there is uh, a, um, a family that would ever sent to Nepal. And they spend a lot of time in Israel. Like, like Rabbi Dror was here last week. He's also a emissary rabbi in the Himalayas. But he spends a lot of time in Israel as well. Especially uh, in the winter, especially because of COVID. And she comes, she's in Israel. She walks past Balfour Place. And there's a big riot against Bibi. And she, of course, looks very firm. And she walks past. And there's a lady who is, is demonstrating against Bibi. And she notices her. And she says to Mrs. Lifshitz, You religious people, it's because of you that we have corona. Get out of here. You're a vile creature. Look what you're doing to all of us. You religious people, you're disgusting. Get out of here. So she's thinking to herself, Wherever you go, it's my mission from Hashem. Whatever happens, a mission from Hashem. That's what she's thinking to herself. And because that's what she was thinking, she was able to, to have the following brilliant, amazing message from Hashem that she, that she amazingly fulfilled. It's, it's, it's such a story. She says to the woman, Cholson, she says, you know what, Hashem, the Rebbe teaches us to conquer, to reach out to a Jew with love. So that's what I need to do. So she smiles at the lady. A loving smile. And she looks at the lady and she notices that on her purse she has a keychain. And the keychain was made in India. She says, oh, what a nice keychain. All of a sudden, there's like a spark of, of humanness in this lady. And she says, if you want, I can get you another one of those keychains from India, too. She says, how would you do that? She says, I'm from Nepal. She says, you're from the base Chabad in Nepal? You're from the Chabadas in Nepal? She says, yes. Ladies, I don't believe it. And she starts to cry, and she hugs and kisses her. What happened? Unbelievable. She says, last year, my son was hiking in the mountains. And he fell and he broke ribs. He was stuck. 
And your husband somehow collected money and hired a helicopter and brought a helicopter to rescue my son. And my son couldn't eat anything. The only thing he could have was soup. And you made soup for my son every single day to nurse him back to health. So Mrs. Mrs. Uh, huh? Please. So, so what, listen to what she says to her. What she says to her is, think, look at how limited our vision is. A moment ago, a moment ago, oh, Eliyahu Navi. A moment ago, I was the enemy, I was for Bibi, I brought Corona, and now all of a sudden we realize that we're all one people, we're all one family. Look how limited our vision is. That's what she told her. That's the meaning of the Pasuk. It says in the Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu approached the darkness, and that is where Hashem was. That's not the Torah when he got, when he got the Torah. Moshe nigesh ala rafel, Hashem alakim. Moshe went into the darkness, and there Hashem was. That means is that, that, that sometimes you're in a situation, it feels like you're in the dark. Like let's think about those those soldiers, Israeli soldiers who went to Iran. We don't. They did this impossible thing, and they managed to to extract from Iran all their nuclear secrets and plans that they had to. Imagine you were there. You're one of those soldiers. You're one of those undercover soldiers. You wouldn't feel like you're in the wrong place. This is, this is, this is where it is. This is where it is. So, the, um, the, the message is that there are some people which, if you want to become a very bitter, angry person, there's a schooler. The school to become a very angry, bitter person is listen to talk radio. Listen to talk radio. It doesn't matter which political uh, person you're listening to. It's all negative. It's all bad. This person is bad. That person is bad. This idea is bad. Some people, they're armchair champions, armchair heroes. They sit in their armchair and they, and they send text messages about why they're critical. And they're, they, they're constantly judging the world. The moment you move into the zone of the critic, you're moving away from your natural place. Where's your natural place? You're an ambassador from Hashem to, to bring light to the world. The moment you move into the realm of the critic, you've left the realm of being a player and you've joined now the realm of the of the uh, the spectators, so the uh, it's, it's a fascinating medrash. Medrash says there was manj, uh, there was a, a ship, and there was one Jew on a ship, and the, the ship had to had to had to stop at this island, and all the non Jews in the ship told the Jew. The medrash says, please go look for food for us on the island. She was like, do I know anybody in this island? He said, you're Jewish. So what do you mean? Is a Jew, a Jew always goes with God. Wherever a Jew is goes, he knows he knows God. Therefore, you'll be able to do it. So, this is the um, message of of this of this story of Hagar in our lives. To realize wherever we are, it's like a, a glove to our ha- to our hand. It's, it fits perfectly. We need to be like Shmuel and Navi. Did he food? Of course, Shmuel and Navi. The mention say the end of the story. The mention saying a parable. Shmuel and Navi. It says. Wherever he went, he was in his home. He always felt wherever he was, wherever he went, he was in his home because, because he knew that wherever he went, Hashem wanted him to go, go to that place. So, a Sefer Teira is not holy just because it has the words there. What makes a Sefer Teira a Sefer Teira is, is that you wrote the Sefer Teira with the intent that this Sefer Teira should be a Sefer Teira. You don't have the right intent, it doesn't become a Sefer Teira. Rabbi Yassi said, the place that you're in doesn't honor you. You honor your place. That's what Rabbi said. You may live in a beautiful home, 
It doesn't make you an honorable person. What makes you an honorable person what you create in the place. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Al-Vasham, he was a, a student in Cambridge, and uh, he came to America to, he had different questions in philosophy, he went to very, very great Torah giants like Salavechik or Mishra Feinstein. And everyone was telling him he should visit the Rebbe. So he went to 770, he asked to see the Rebbe, and they told him, you can't see the Rebbe, the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's audience is a few times a week, after his long line. So he went to his aunt in California, and he left his phone number with Rabbi Chadakov, if an audience opens up for me, please let me know, I want to I visit the Rebbe. So he comes all the way over here, and he gets a phone call from Rabbi Chadakov, and Rabbi Chadakov says, the Rebbe could see you on Thursday. So he went on a bus, a three-day bus, from California to New York, 72 hours, he comes to the Rebbe, and he, inter- and he asked the Rebbe this question, it's a discussion with the Rebbe, and all of a sudden, the Rebbe switches the conversation. How many Jewish students are there in Cambridge? What, how many of them know what Jewish life is all about? What are you doing to help the Jewish students in Cambridge? And he started saying, in the situation in which I find myself, and the Rebbe interrupted him. He was going to say, I can't really do anything. That's what he was going to say. And the Rebbe interrupted him, which is very rare. The Rebbe says, a Jew, a person does not find himself in a situation. A person puts himself in a situation. And if you put yourself in one situation, you can put yourself in a different situation. That's what the Rebbe said. And he said that really like, was a, a paradigm shift for him. It made him look at where he was in Cambridge and what, what he's able to, uh, to do there. So the bottom line is, we cannot be uh, spectators. We can't be afraid of the light. What's the light? Some people are afraid of the light. They're afraid of this feeling. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a little intense. It's a wonderful feeling. I'm an ambassador from Hashem, wherever I am. And Hashem sent me here where I am, and I have to do something. That's, that's the place of light. But some people are afraid of that, of that feeling. We can't be afraid of it. We, to, we can't be spectators. We've got to be players. Because wherever Hashem put us, we've got a mission to do, and we've got to do it. So that's what I wanted to share. Any questions? Oh, one more verse. One more verse. Let me tell you one more verse. He wanted to be an attorney. To be a rabbi. Not to be a rabbi, to open a, a school for rabbis. It says that uh, who was it? Oh, Meish Rabbeinu. When he's standing to see, this is this is worth coming to just to hear this word. You know, you may have heard it before, but if you heard it before, you for sure have to hear it again because then you not, never built the fact because it's old. Isn't this almond? Hashem tells Meish Rabbeinu, take your shoes off your feet. The place you're standing is holy. So Hasidic masters say like this: the word shoe comes from the word lock. Hashem told Meish Rabbeinu, take the locks off your feet. Whatever is stopping you from doing what you need to do, stopping and holding you back from being going where you need to be, take it off. Your feet, the word feet in Hebrew comes from the word habit. Let go of all those habits which are which are, you're used to, ways of thinking that you're, that you're used to that will make you want to stay in the dark. Take the shoes off your feet. Why? Because exactly the place that you're in, the job that you're in, the, jo- the, the jobless place that you're in, the relationship you're in, the non-relationship place that you're in, that place is Kodesh. That's a place where Hashem sent you. And, that's, and, and that feeling is a feeling of light. And that's a feeling we, we, that, that's, that's part of the, of the future of the Arab Mashiach. That, 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 that's where we need to get. Chaim of Rach.